At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. From the Fox News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan, it's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. A lot to go over. Seven days to be the election day and a lot going on. So many moving parts. So many interesting races. It reminds me of most of like sports than any other time of year, especially the midterms, because it's regular season. We know the president. There's other people on the docket, but everyone looks at the president, the coattails, what's going on with the party. It's the sexiest matchup. But for the midterms, it's uh, arguably more impactful. And there's so many different storylines, so many different candidates, so many different strategies that come into play. We'll discuss as much as we can with Senator Tom Cotton this hour and you. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Sponsored by Crunch Fitness. Interested in owning your own business in a growing $30 billion industry? Check out Crunch Fitness at crunch.com. Number three. There's an eagerness on the left to make this political and immediately to start blaming Republicans. But where's the sympathy even from the left for Paul Pelosi? Uh, That is Senator Rand Paul. We'll discuss what happened to him, the lack of sympathy that he received. Paul Pelosi smashed in the head by a crazed attacker who really wanted the speaker. And it's Republicans' fault, really? MAGA Republicans to blame? Insanity. Number two. The profits are a windfall of war. You know, at a time of war, any company receiving historic windfall profits like this has a responsibility to act beyond their narrow self-interest. What is wrong with him? The economy, first the good news, the stock market is up, bad news, so are utility bills, oil, gas, and diesel, and diesel's running out. Our president decided to blame oil companies and to vilify the Saudi Arabia, remember? No wonder why he's been off the campaign trail in the closing weeks. He's doing unpopular, ridiculous things. Number one. We're talking about races that Republicans internally wouldn't talk about recently. The, the New Hampshire Senate races you highlighted, highlighted earlier. Uh, the New York governor's race, which is really big on crime this time. The Republican map is expanding. The Democratic map is shrinking. It's true. That is Doug Hay on special report last night. Seven days to Election Day, only the final polls released. And the GOP is trailing just about every close race. Why will the New York Times ran it? Are you buying that? We'll break it all down with the closing comments and new signs of looming monster upsets brewing in the New York governor's race. And maybe I'll start there. So, you know, Lee Zeldin, congressman from Suffolk County, uh, veteran, uh, Jewish American, decides I'm going to run for governor. Wins the, uh, gets the nomination. It was tough going. Andrew Giuliani was popular. Rob Astorino had got it twice. And there was some rich guy with a lot of money in there. So I think Wilson, uh, he decided not once he lost not to help. And then using money left, Lee Zeldin mounted a campaign trailing by roughly 24 points. 
I never thought he was trailing by that much, but Kathy Hochul is so bad, so inept. She's an accidental governor. She does not even realize how dumb she sounds by not addressing with the New York people and almost every resident of every major city feels, and that is a lack of safety because of the criminal element back out on the streets and the rise of crime and while the defunding and defaming of police, especially in New York. So here's Kathy Hochul, and I don't get it. We used to debate. You identify the major issues and debate something and debate how you go about attacking it. She doesn't even want to acknowledge the issue. Cut five. People who've been involved in the effort to eradicate gun violence, get the guns off our streets and stop the slaughter, are sick and tired of being used by candidates like Lee Zeldin as part of a narrative which is false, which is that you can have be tough on crime but refuse to talk about any common sense Gun safety legislation. Gun safety legislation. I mean, basically, the Supreme Court just said Second Amendment was being abused here, so they put it in place. She tried to clamp down on it again. It got pushed back on court, says you're not adhering to the Supreme Court decision. But guns are not the issue when 26 people get tossed on the subway tracks because they're being targeted. Guns aren't the issues when you're being knifed to death. Guns aren't the issue when you're uh, when you're a woman just walking out on the 34th Street uh, platform and some cr- repeated criminal who was in jail for murder 14 years ago decides to beat you senseless and no one came to your aid. Guns aren't the issue. And then she went on to say data deniers. Well, Hochul says data deniers. There is no problem with crime in New York City. They're data deniers. Is it, okay, let's go over some data. Compared to 2021, robberies were up 33%. Let's go over some data. Felonies up uh, 14%. Grand larceny 40%. Burglary, 29%. They're pointing to the fact that murders are down. Yeah, more people are surviving being shot. That's one thing. But for you to look at this and think that you can act like that is absolutely insane. Here's Lieutenant Randy uh, Sutton, who says, I'm I'm nonpartisan. Cut 13. I'm not a partisan. I'm not a partisan. I, I, I believe in judging politicians on their merit. So I was, I was really hopeful that Hochul was going to uh, take the, the reins of leadership and become someone who would actually make a change. But instead, she chose to follow in Cuomo's footsteps and allow the insanity of the legislative uh, uh, changes that were made to the New York uh, uh, criminal code and allow uh, cashless bail, allow people right. to be literally uh, you know, tossed out of the system with, with no consequences whatsoever. So it's the same criminals over and over again, 13 people committing over 200 crimes, covered the New York Post two months ago. So crime is one thing, inflation is the other, and this administration uh, in New York is talking about abortion and Donald Trump. Good luck with that. So I looked at some of these polls, and they are unbelievably skewed towards Democrats, but New York Times, I'm not going to forget this either, depending on the outcome. I'll, I'll re- regard it. If they're right, they're right. But they're, I just can't see them being right here. Mark Kelly up 51-45, according to Siena poll, Siena New York Times. Pennsylvania has Fetterman up five. Are you kidding me? Fetterman up five in Pennsylvania after that debate performance, after being exposed as a radical socialist, Bernie Sanders' disciple. Georgia Warnock by three, Nevada well, uh, deadlocked. Adam Laxalt and Senator Catherine Cortez Masto. Listen. 
Black Hole's been up by one or two, three or four, pretty consistently since August. Why we believe this is turning around? Georgia governor's race, the only thing I do agree with, Kemp on top of Abrams. So we'll see where that goes because Kemp is just outdebated. The issues are moving away from her. She looks totally insincere. She has toughly hurt the state. That up-and-coming star is going to have a lot of trouble reigniting uh, that flame. Oz got a big boost because he's running against Fetterman. Pittsburgh Post-Gazette endorses Oz as significant. It's kind of a liberal city. They said the lack of transparency on your health condition, John Fetterman, is the key. Plus, you just reverse yourself and say, I'm for fracking. However you bark it out, that's what you're saying, and that you're tough on crime? Really? And then complain that you're being taken advantage of at six foot seven, 350 pounds? You're being taken advantage of by Dr. Oz, a heart surgeon? All right, good luck with that. Other things I want to go over before we get to uh, Senator Tom Cotton, and that's what's happened with oil and gas. You know in the business, you don't just pump oil and gas goes down. It's a world market. They don't set the prices. But it didn't stop Joe Biden from having this press conference, Cut 15. Their profits are a windfall of war, the windfall from the brutal conflict that's ravaging Ukraine and hurting tens of millions of people around the globe. You know, at a time of war, any company receiving historic windfall profits like this has a responsibility to act beyond their narrow self-interest. If they don't, they're going to pay a higher tax on their excess profits and face other restrictions. Why don't you have Hunter share some of that Chinese money with other people that are hurting and having trouble dealing with your inflation? So the American Petroleum Institute said, really? Windfall profits? We tried that in the 80s. It was a disaster. Uh, Quote from the American Petroleum Institute, oil companies do not set prices. Global commodity markets do. Increasing taxes on the American energy discourage investment in new production, which, by the way, he wants which is the exact opposite of what is needed. They go on to say, we recognize the pain that high prices cause. Unfortunately, the market that we're in today is a function of many policies and some of the narratives that floated around in the past. A kind way of saying you want to bankrupt fossil fuels. Now you need them. You don't let us drill on federal land. You're discouraging investment from the major financial institutions into oil and gas. You're walking around begging the Saudis and Venezuelans to pump more. When they don't, you come back to us and blame us. Really? These are your policies. When we come back, Senator Tom Cotton on this and so much more, he's discussing his brand new book called Only the Strong. And, of course, we take your calls, 1-866-408-7669. You are listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Fox News Radio On Demand on the Fox News app. Download the app and just click listen. When you swipe left, you can listen to your favorite Fox News talk shows live. Swipe right for the latest Fox News Radio newscasts on demand. Fox News Radio on the Fox News app. Download it today. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Extraordinary success of this mission was due to the incredible skill, bravely, 
and selfless courage of the United States military and our diplomats and intelligence professionals. For weeks, they risked their lives to get American citizens, Afghans who helped us, citizens of our allies and partners and others on board planes and out of the country. That is uh, Joe Biden taking a bow after the exit from Afghanistan, leaving our allies behind. Thirteen died, many more wounded at the blast at the Kabul airport. And it was one of the biggest embarrassment disasters in American military history. The president has paid a price for it in the polls, but not a big enough price. We still glaze over it. No one's discussing it. But Senator Tom Cotton included it. He included it in his book, one of the first stories in Only the Strong, reversing the left's plot to sabotage American power, saying some of the ineptness is actually intentional. Uh, Senator, welcome back. Thanks, Brian. It's great to be back on with you. Uh, I mean, I I am outraged for a guy that fought in Iraq and Afghanistan, for you in particular, and you become congressman while Barack Obama becomes president, and he wanted to surge, but his heart wasn't in it. You see all the mistakes that happened there. And guess what? Bin Laden's sons even back there, Al-Qaeda and ISIS are there, and some of our allies are running for their lives still to this day. Yeah, the uh, Afghanistan fiasco was not just a political disaster for Joe Biden. It was a strategic disaster of the first order for America. You know, one of Chinese communist propaganda outlets shortly after uh, the fall of Kabul uh, referred to the Afghan effect. And unfortunately, you saw that in Ukraine. It was just a few weeks later when Vladimir Putin began to marshal troops in Ukraine's border. I think after a long series of concessions that Joe Biden made to Vladimir Putin in the first months of his presidency – He viewed uh, the collapse of Afghanistan as kind of the starting whistle for him to go for the jugular in Ukraine. And much like the collapse uh, of uh, South Vietnam and the humiliation of having to conduct airlifts off of our embassy from Saigon in 1975 led to uh, Soviet uh, communism being on the march throughout the 1970s, I'm afraid we're going to be living with the Afghan effect for at least as long as Joe Biden is president. He said over and over again this would not be Saigon, and he was right. It was worse. It was much worse than Saigon. You know, in Saigon, we had been largely out of Vietnam for almost – for more than two years. You know, Richard Nixon – basically won the war after, you know, many years uh, of Democratic uh, mismanagement, under first under John F. Kennedy, then under uh, LBJ. First advisors, then the war. Yeah. So you had the uh, the Paris Peace Accords uh, in early 1973. Um, we withdrew almost all of our troops from Vietnam. South Vietnam had stabilized. Ho Chi Minh, a brutal communist butcher in charge of North Vietnam, was not able to subjugate all of South Vietnam. But then after Watergate began uh, and Nixon's resignation, you had large Democratic majorities in Congress, to include Joe Biden, who had just been elected to the Senate in 1972, cutting off military aid to South Vietnam. And in the end, you saw South Vietnam fall to the communists, uh, which is a terrible strategic setback for America and also uh, helped project weakness that put this communist on the march throughout the world. And you could argue, Senator, that if it wasn't for the impeachment uh, movements on Watergate, which is, you know, Richard Nixon brought it on himself. I got it. And the unrest with Ford taking over the unelected president. Maybe there might be a push to finish the war the right way and and maybe not send that message uh, in the big picture. Did you know all this stuff? Did you did you go back? Did you learn this in school and that? Uh, laid the foundation for it? Did you go back and study this? It's, so it's a combination of both. Um, you know, I try to be well-read, not just about the news today, but about history. One point I make in Only the Strong is the foundation of America is the, the moral nature of mankind, that we're all created free and equal by God, but we're also sinful and fallen creatures by nature. And that's true of us today. It was true of our founders. It was true 
of the people we read about in the Bible. Um, if you reject that and you believe that mankind is perfectible and you can bring about heaven on earth, then you see the kind uh, of disasters we've seen over the last hundred years in foreign policy. So I try to learn from the past, not just follow the news today, but I also did a lot of thorough research for this book as well. And, and again, the the, um, the collapse of, of South Vietnam was a strategic order of the first, uh, strategic disaster of the first order. I mean, just imagine if what had happened in, in Korea had happened in Vietnam. You'd had an enduring partition. South Vietnam was not subjugated by communists, but was instead a beachhead and lodgment of freedom in Southeast Asia. It would be a vast, a vastly advantageous uh, circumstance for America and a huge setback for communist China today. I mean, think about this. We, we, South Korea is one of our most vital allies in the region, right? You have Japan right there. And think about what Afghanistan could have been in that region. As uh, you know, right in the middle of Pakistan, right by China, right by Russia, right in the middle of it all. We keep that base. What we needed to do is explain it to the American people. You, you just say the war is ongoing, war is ongoing. Take your time. We have been went to school on the war on terror. America got our competency exam. We all passed it. So it would have worked. But you, went to, uh, you took action after we pulled out to help your constituents and other allies get out. Here's President Biden pledging before this contest not to leave anybody behind. Cut 30. And are you committed to making sure that the troops stay until every American who wants to be out yes. is out? Yes. How about our Afghan allies? Does the commitment hold for them as well? The commitment holds to get everyone out that, in fact, we can get out and everyone should come out. And that's the objective. That's what we're doing now. That's the path we're on. And I think we'll get there. So Americans should understand that troops might have to be there beyond August 31st. No, Americans should understand that we're going to try to get it done before August 31st. But if we don't, the troops will stay. If we don't, we'll determine at the time who's left. And? And if there are American forces, if there's American citizens left, we're going to stay till we get them all out. Is it unbelievable that George Stephanopoulos had to force him to answer correctly and he didn't fulfill what he said he would do? Yeah, that, that is an unbelievable trip down memory lane. If I recall, that interview happened a day or two after Kabul fell before we finally uh, left Afghanistan uh, about 10 or 12 days later. Um, what happened in those final days in Afghanistan is a uh, Uh, example of the toxic combination uh, of Joe Biden's incompetence and his insecurity. Uh, As I write, not only the strong, Joe Biden had insisted throughout 2009 that we do then what he ultimately did in 2021. Uh, He poisoned the well between Barack Obama, the new president, uh, and senior military leaders, uh, said that they were misleading him. It, It really led to a lot of mistrust throughout the Obama era between Obama and the military. But he carried a chip on his shoulder for 12 years that Obama largely sided with military leadership over Joe Biden. Uh, and I think he, last year he just wanted to prove that he was right all along. And he, he wanted to wrong. prove it to Barack Obama, and, and he, he was, was dead wrong. And he was wrong. But what about this military leadership that they didn't say, Mr. President, you do this? Here are my four stars. Because that would have forced him politically to change his mind, Senator, in my view. Yeah, and, and I, I understand that point of view. You know, I, I've spoken to some of those leaders, the other point of view they have. Because you, you think, think I'm wrong on that. Well, Dave Petraeus laid this out once in, in a hearing back in the Iraq days, is that, you know, the privates uh, and the Marines that we had in Afghanistan don't have a ch- choice to do that. So general officers often feel compelled that they should move forward as long as they're um, receiving legal orders, even if they believe the president is mistaken, but, as they pretty much all Gen- made the clear. did General Miller leave command? Wasn't it Miller that left command instead of going along with that? Uh, Miller was essentially told to come home. That was not his choice. That was part of the withdrawal. That was poorly timed and planned. More with Senator Cotton in a moment.
the talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The profits are a windfall of war. The windfall from the brutal conflict that's ravaging Ukraine and hurting tens of millions of people around the globe. You know, at a time of war, any company receiving historic windfall profits like this has a responsibility to act beyond their narrow self-interest. If they don't, they're going to pay a higher tax on their excess profits and face other restrictions. So you're feeling utility bills double, triple, and you see oil uh, and gas, diesel oil, we're basically out of uh, oil and your gas in your car is is up. It's around 372 right now. And when the president came in, it was 235. And the president said, I got an idea. Let's first alienate the Saudi Arabians, and then we'll have 2 million barrels less of oil on the market. And then we're going to use yesterday, Monday, to vilify the oil and gas company, saying you're making too much money. With me right now is somebody who wrote about that in his book, uh, Only the Strong, Reversing the Left's Plot to Sabotage American Power, Senator Tom Cotton. Senator, was he sincere in saying that the oil companies are the problem, making too much profits because of the Ukrainian war? Well, Joe Biden knows so little about basic economics. He, he may have actually believed that. Uh, he doesn't write his own speeches. More, Don't more, you think he has a chief of staff that says, Mr. President, is this a good idea to bring this up? Well, more, more fundamentally, Joe Biden reflects the Democratic Party's ideological opposition to fossil fuels, to oil and gas and coal. Um, and this is not something that's an accident or bad luck for Joe Biden. They intended this. You know, in the campaign, he said that he was going to end oil and gas production in America, just like uh, Barack Obama said in 2008 that under his plans, uh, they were going to bankrupt coal companies and the price of your electricity bills would necessarily go up. And can I just add that by these text messages, it just got exposed of John Kerry interacting uh, with other members of Congress saying that there's an executive order that will allow us to bring coal to its knees. Yeah, again, it, it's an ideological uh, agenda that's opposed to uh, American energy production, which, as I write, not only the strong, really is one of the sources of American power. I mean, it literally powers our economy. You know, when your lights go off, you say the power is out. Um, so they, they are worried about the consequences of that in the election seven days from now. But in the long run, they want gas to be at $4 a gallon. Frankly, they want it to be at 8 or $10 a gallon, like Barack Obama's energy secretary said. And they want you to have to use other sources of heating for your home, or preferably just wear sweaters like Jimmy Carter told you to in your home. Senator Tom Cotton with us. So, Senator, you write this book to prove one point. And we're going to go over, I can go over the, the specific foreign policies, and we will, hopefully. But, and then I bring up oil and gas to say that these aren't, this isn't Hurricane Ian. We can't prevent Hurricane Ian. We could prevent, these policies are not in America's best interests. And you think it's intentional. Why would someone want to lead a country the wrong way? Well, as I explained in Only the Strong, uh, the progressive left is at best ambivalent about America. Many are openly anti-American, but at best they're ambivalent about America. I mean, think about Barack Obama. He said he wanted to fundamentally transform America. Um, no one who loves – They want an apology tour. Yeah, no one who loves something or someone wants to fundamentally transform it. Imagine if you told your wife on your anniversary, honey, I love you, but I really want to fundamentally transform you. Um, he said he didn't believe in American exceptionalism unless, you know, you also uh, acknowledge that Greeks could believe in Greek exceptionalism, which is a way of saying it's just a kind of 
misguided, obsolete By the way, they can. chauvinism for one's own. They can if they, they want. They can, but obviously America is the exceptional nation in the eyes of yeah. most Americans. And, and you see it today in things like the 1619 Project or, or the BLM riots in 2020 or the idea that America is a systemically racist country. So these progressive politicians who are ambivalent about America are therefore openly hostile to American power. They don't want America to be strong and independent and have freedom of action to be the world's energy superpower, to have sovereign borders and sovereign choices available to us in the world and a strong, prosperous economy powering all of that. Um, They'd rather America atone for our supposed sins, pull in our horns, become a more normal nation. They think it would be good not just for the world but good for America as well. Most Americans obviously don't believe that. They think that America should be, as we call ourselves in the Cold War, the leader of the free world, that we should have a strong and prosperous economy, that we should have sovereign borders, that we should protect our citizens at home and abroad, that we should be the world's energy superpower. So you let the border open, wide open, 4 million people, 800,000 gotaways in a year and a half, and you're not saying it's not a bad policy. It's an intentionally bad policy because America is basically – the makeup of America gradually will change if this continues. Yeah, and again, they announced this in the 2020 campaign. Remember, there's a debate when they asked the uh, candidates, do you think that we should decriminalize crossing our border? And almost all of them raised their hand. Joe Biden kind of sheepishly half raised his hand and half put it down. He should have just said yes if you look at his policies. It is the obvious and predictable consequences of the policies uh, of this administration that led us to have 5 million illegal aliens enter this country in less than two years to include people on the terrorist watch list to include drug traffickers who are flooding our streets with deadly uh, opioids like fentanyl. Um, This is the obvious and predictable um, consequences of their policies. It's not bad luck. It's not an accident. It's not a surge of migrants driven by, you know, a drought in Latin America. So you point, you you start your book with Woodrow Wilson. You know, he won the League of Nations. He didn't want to get, even when blows up, he didn't want to get back in the war. I mean, didn't want to get into the war. He still says it wasn't our problem, even though all these Americans are dead and it was our our ship. So, and you're saying that this is a continuation of that. That's progressive. By the way, a a racist guy. He did not think uh, blacks and whites were equal. He was a virulent racist, um, but you can take his name off buildings. You can't take his ideas out of the progressive movement, though, because he's the original progressive. He was a professor before he became a politician. The first politician in American history, the first prominent politician, certainly the first president, to openly repudiate America's founding, the Declaration. And would of the you also say that if Teddy Roosevelt and Taft don't brawl, he doesn't become president? Probably so. Probably so. And then you talk about World War One. Yes, in the end, he entered World War One. But he had many reasons to enter World War I that were based on America's vital interest. As you say, Germany sank the Lusitania, killing more than 100 Americans. They colluded with the Mexican government to try to seize American soil. Um, They were once again starting unrestricted submarine warfare in early 1917, which was already leading to supply shortages in America. Yet that's not what he said in his war message to Congress. He focused on abstractions and globalist fantasies like the League of Nations, a a world-spanning alliance that would force us to go to war anywhere. Probably the simplest way to sum it up is that Wilson famously said in that war message that our mission was to make the world safe for democracy. Our founders would say that there's one key word missing in that statement. They would say we need to make the world safe for America's democracy. And Washington never shrinked from America first. You point out in his address to the nation that he said it should be in, uh, we should have a foreign policy in America's interest. Yeah, it was just common sense to our founders, um, most notably the the, the – best thinkers and leaders of the founding era when it came to foreign policy was George Washington and John Quincy Adams. 
but just common sense that we had to put America first. I mean, it's a dangerous world. Who else would do so if we didn't? Um, that didn't mean uh, that we're going to behave like some of the absolute monarchies uh, of Europe, but it meant that we had to take care of our own interests, especially under the circumstances of the time. Now, as I lay out in the book, circumstances change, conditions change. You can still act on the same guiding principles, which is America's safety and freedom and prosperity to have mm-hmm. a different policy, but you have to take account the circumstances. We're going to come back with another segment, but it's not hyperbole to say, if I can use a word that Joe Biden has ruined, uh, to say that this is a vital election because an agenda is being implemented and installed right now that's going to be very hard to turn around, especially with a with a rising China, with all their problems, their goal is still on track to supplant us, uh, take over the South China Sea, become a major player in South and Central America. The disaster of this Brazil election but that no one's talking about. So there is an urgency than midterms. A, a deep urgency uh, to turn around the country uh, and to put uh, put the brakes on the Biden and the Democrats' ideological agenda. Um, it's really urgent that we went back to both the House and the Senate. I just hope the American people see this. It's not subtle. This is not subtle. You don't have to squint hard and go to and go get a uh, you know go to a, a think tank and, and read the notes to find out what's going on here. You see the results. Senator Tom Cotton are again. I'm not saying Republicans are perfect, but at least they agree that America is a great place and they'll they'll debate issues. These seem to be people that don't really have America's best interest in mind. Senator Tom Cotton, don't move. Only the strong is now out. I know because I download it because Senator Cotton wants more money. Don't move. Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. We looked at really hundreds of documents that paint a vivid picture of the FBI, the DHS, closely collaborating with the top social media platforms, Twitter and Facebook, to censor uh, various forms of content under the banner of fighting disinformation. And the story shows a couple of things. One, it shows what you just mentioned, a very cozy relationship between the government and these tech giants. Um, There's those monthly meetings that you just mentioned, uh, but also just very cozy emails and, and texts um, not a very adversarial relationship. You know, we looked at one text where Microsoft executive texts uh, Jen Easterly, the top disinfo um, director at DHS appointed by Biden, basically saying the government needs to get, the private sector needs to get more comfortable with the government. Um, they're closely collaborating on reports talking about the expanded role for DHS in censoring a really broad uh, collection of, of, of topic areas, of, of, of policy and political topics. So that was Lee Fang, who wrote this story for The Intercept that talked about the collaboration discovered between the DHS, the FBI, and Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, who knows, I hope not TikTok, China-owned, to make sure messages were shaped. And you mentioned this in your book, uh, Tom Cotton, uh, Senator from Arkansas, in your book uh, called Only the Strong, about these establishment people when it comes to COVID-19, the origins, they're messing with it. When it comes to Afghanistan exit, the disaster it was, they're messing with the messages. I was stunned by the details in which have emerged from this. Were you? Yeah, it's very alarming, and it is very consistent with this 100-year plan by the progressive left to supplant the elected representatives of our government and replace them with so-called 
neutral, nonpartisan, scientific The Anthony Fauci's of the world. Yeah, Anthony Fauci is kind of Woodrow Wilson's uh, ideal uh, of the so-called experts. Now, 100 years on, we know that this is something of a farce. You know, think about Anthony Fauci with COVID, Lisa Page and Peter Strzok with the Russia collusion hoax, Lois Lerner with the Tea Tea Party harassment scandal. Um, this alphabet soup of agencies that are largely unaccountable to the American people through elections, FBI, DOJ, DHS, you can go on and on, almost every letter of the alphabet, is a project of the progressive left to remove power from political processes where it will be in the hands of the American people and their elected representatives and put it in their in the hands of their allies, uh, these so-called neutral experts, which are anything but neutral. But, you know, you don't have to look back 100 years to know it was a problem. Churchill was a contemporary of Woodrow Wilson, and he rang the alarm bell throughout his life of this effort to remove political decision-making authority away from the people and put it in the hands of unelected, unaccountable persons. Because, you know, who was also a contemporary of Woodrow Wilson and Winston Churchill? Vladimir Lenin, who viewed himself and the Communist Party as kind of the vanguard of revolution. And Churchill saw what Woodrow Wilson couldn't see is that even though we had made great technological and scientific progress by 100 years ago and certainly by uh, these days, we had made no moral progress. People are no different today than they were 100 years ago and they were 200 years ago and they were 2,000 years ago. And if you give total power that is not accountable, that doesn't have any checks and balances to these bureaucrats at places like the National Institutes of Health, and the FBI, and the Department of Homeland Security, you shouldn't be surprised when they start using that power to uh, abusively persecute their political opponents. How do you fix it? And you do have a chapter in your book, How to Fix It. So give people some hope. Yeah, I have an entire roadmap for how we can begin to restore American power by rebuilding our military and achieving energy independence, securing our border, uh, recognizing that we've got friends and foes all around the world. But at home, the way we can fix it too, I mean, first we've taken some steps in the Trump era by appointing judges and justices to our courts who recognize this vast administrative state is not part of our Constitution and needs more checks and balances, needs to be held accountable. Uh, if we win the Congress next week, as I expect we will, I, I can promise you there will be very vigorous oversight hearings. At least in the House. Uh, well, I think we're going to win the Senate as well. I think you can count Did on it Did you feel that way two weeks ago? Or do you feel like something's I, I, changed? No, I felt good all along, uh, in part because the consequences of the Democrats' ideological agenda – Um, are devastating for American families who can't feed their family, they can't fill up their gas tank, they can't heat their homes, they can't take their kids out trick-or-treating without worrying about being the victims of crime. Um, I I lay out a lot of this ideological agenda in Only the Strong. It's also very timely for this election because the American people who are, are sensible and common sense and not ideological don't want to be the guinea pigs for Joe Biden and the Democrats' ideological ambitions. So... There's pushback. I mean, I, we watched Donald Trump. The first thing he wanted to do was fortify the border. You know how much money he got with the Republican House? $1.4 billion to build a $20 billion wall. So there's, you know, you could want to do this, but there's huge pushback. Yeah, I, I think there were some mistakes made early in the Trump presidency, um, both on the domestic front and the foreign policy front. Uh, one mistake on, on the domestic front was to essentially allow the House of Representatives to take the lead on his legislative agenda. Uh, And try to redo Obamacare. Yeah, and and that was not what he had campaigned on. I mean, he campaigned on the fact that Obamacare was driving up costs for working families and costing people their health insurance. But if you look back at at the campaign of 2016, you know, what was driving, you know, the biggest cheers at Donald Trump's rallies was not, you know, let's repeal Obamacare, it's let's build the wall. 
So you had members of the House of Representatives, especially leaders, who had certain goals and ambitions and objectives on which they had campaigned. But typically, when you have a new president of your own party, you're implementing the agenda on which he campaigned. So the first initiative we should have undertaken in the winter of 2017 when Donald Trump took office was to was to build the wall and to secure our border. Like I write in only the strong, I, I wish the president had withdrawn on day one from the Iran nuclear deal. Uh, you thought than, he waited too long. I thought he waited too long. But as I say in the book, Republicans can make mistakes. Obviously, Republicans aren't perfect. We're human as well. But the point is they are mistakes. It was a mistake to wait 18 months to withdraw from the Iran nuclear deal. It was a mistake for George W. Bush not to have enough troops in Iraq in the early days of that war. It was a mistake for his father, President Bush 41, not to crack down on China at the Tiananmen Square massacre. But the point is these are mistakes. They are not an intentional – They're policy. They're a decision that you make. And they are not an intentional effort to sabotage American power. And in most cases – they are oftentimes turned around, as the president uh, did with the as surge. President Trump turned it around by withdrawing from the nuclear deal, as President uh, Bush turned it around with the surge in Iraq. You never saw that kind of pivot with Barack Obama, and I predict you unfortunately won't see it with Joe Biden again because it's part of their ideological agenda to undermine the sources of American power. Where do you think we should go in Ukraine right now? You see that they're going after the Ukraine's infrastructure, Ukraine winning on the ground, American people getting impatient with the price. Well, as I've said all along, uh, we should support Ukraine helping or we should help support and help the Ukrainian people defend Ukrainian territory. Uh, we shouldn't have our own troops fighting there. Now, as I write in Only the Strong, Joe Biden should stop saying all the things he's not going to do. Um, as I said, I, I wouldn't put American troops in Ukraine, but I wouldn't have told Vladimir Putin from the very beginning I wasn't going to do that. I wouldn't keep saying and projecting publicly what kind of weapons I'm not going to provide to Ukraine. But w- we should support Ukraine and its army and its people in fighting to defend their territory. So you'd continue that with Joe Biden as president with the majority? And you would, I, I would, would you urge and your colleagues to do I, that what, too? What I think we should, what we, we should have is more support from uh, European nations and the EU for Ukraine. Now, there's there's certain things that only America can do. There's certain kinds of weapon systems and rounds and ammunition that America can make. We have to be the ones to provide that. But European nations also have some pretty advanced uh, defense industries, but they certainly have the wealth to help support Ukraine's government with economic and financial aid. We should do a little less of that, a little more military aid. Senator, great job on the book. Uh, I don't know how you found time to do it. Only the strong reversing the left's plot to sabotage American power. And if you get in some power, people are going to be looking for you to implement some of this. So now you set the bar. Senator, thanks so much. Thank you, Brian. News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show from 48th and 6th of Midtown Manhattan. Heard around the country, heard around the world. I really appreciate you being with us today. Uh, meanwhile, coming up this hour, in a matter of moments, Andy Milton will be with us. Uh, Senior Vice President of Supply at Mansfield Oil. If you want a tutorial on oil, gas, diesel, uh, fracking, everything, this is a one-stop shopping, as well as what other countries have and what we're not doing. We'll do a simulcast with Varney and Company right after, and, of course, take your calls. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. There's an eagerness on the left to make this political and immediately to start blaming Republicans. But where's the sympathy even from the left for Paul Pelosi? Uh, That is uh, Rand Paul talking about getting beat up. Paul Pelosi smashed in the head by a crazed attacker who really wanted the speaker. And it's Republicans fault. Really? MAGA Republicans to blame insanity. 
Number two. The profits are a windfall of war. You know, at a time of war, any company receiving historic windfall profits like this has a responsibility to act beyond their narrow self-interest. Oh, my goodness. Economy. First, the good news. The stock market up. The bad news is so are utility bills, oil, gas, diesel running out. Our president decides to blame oil companies about a couple of weeks after vilifying Saudi Arabia. Where did that get us? Where will this get us? Number one. We're talking about races that Republicans internally wouldn't talk about recently. The, the New Hampshire Senate races you highlighted, highlighted earlier. Uh, the New York governor's race, which is really big on crime this time. The Republican map is expanding. The Democratic map is shrinking. Seven days to Election Day. One of the final polls released in the GOP is trailing in just about every close race. Are you buying that? Well, the New York Times did it. Maybe that's a clue. We'll break it all down along with the closing comments as everybody looks to lock up their race strong, especially in New York, where Lee Zeldin's on a roll. Let's bring in Andy Milton now, Senior Vice President of Supply at Mansfield Oil. Andy, great to hear from you. Hey, Brian, how's it going? Very few people are as impressive as you when it comes to oil and gas, not only in America, uh, but around the world. You have a real sense of, of what we could do and what we have. First off, were you surprised the President of the United States went after the oil industry for windfield profits? I don't think that's a surprise based on history, uh, certainly in an, an unfortunate situation, though. Uh, here he is. Cut 15. The profits are a windfall of war, the windfall from the brutal conflict that's ravaging Ukraine and hurting tens of millions of people around the globe. So is that is that really profits of war? It's a factor, but it's not the main factor. Certainly, you think about uh, before COVID, we were we were producing at some uh, pretty record numbers. And uh, when you've locked down the country for you know a extended period of time, and demand destruction ends up impacting the industry, we we have to deal with that. And I think that uh, unfortunately we're dealing with some lack of lack of investment. Uh, the impact from you know, not making uh, money for, for for about a year or two uh, in that in that particular industry, and you know that's now the domino effect of what we're dealing with. But so, uh, you know we can still get out of this and improve things, but it's definitely more than just the war uh, in Ukraine that's that's causing the prices here in the U.S. to be to be higher. How are politics getting in the way? <laughs> Unfortunately, you know sometimes decisions are made uh, in the short term for politics and. Personally and both professionally, I think, you know, long-term decisions need to be made for the long-term benefit of America. So what would be our best way? They talk about streamlining permitting. They talked about uh, putting pipelines online. The people have told me, Sarah Palin was saying that we're not nearly using our capacity uh, to go through the pipelines we are allowing to exist in Alaska. So what are some of the things you see, Andy? Yeah, and certainly for the U.S., we're in a great situation overall, though. We we, all, we do have a lot of our own con, or can control our own destiny from the energy standpoint, which is great. Natural gas, crude, uh, great investment in, in companies prior to 2019. So you know, getting back to that would be super important. That would mean pipelines that were either planned or somewhat finished. Let's continue that work. We've got, some, we've got a partner in the north that likes us for the most part, and they have a lot of crude. Canada. They have, it's it's well-priced. And the refineries in the U.S. Can, can really use that. So as much as we can improve that infrastructure would be great versus relying on countries maybe like Venezuela, you know, parts of the Middle East, uh, certainly that, that, that may not like us as much. For, for pedestrians who aren't in your business like me, uh, can you describe why it's not just a matter of 
pump producing more oil. You have to think more long term than that. You have to get more of a commitment because of the financial, the financials that have to be in, in place first. Yeah, and, I, and investment is huge. And then and some, some stats to kind of put in perspective for you. So 2022 versus 2019, the industry has $15 billion less investment uh, in that time period. So we're putting ourselves in a dangerous situation where if you don't invest now, you're not going to have that oil and gas infrastructure, that cheap, reliable energy that we need everything for everything, not just for everyone what we're driving every day in our cars, but everything that's produced from a plastics and a rubber material. Uh, this is, a, this is, a, this is a, a long-term game you need to be playing. Here is more from President Biden. Cut 16. But not everyone stepped up. The oil industry has not. Has not met its commitment to invest in America and support the American people. One by one, major oil companies have reported record profits. If they're investing their profits in historic at historic rates in their U.S. operations, then America would be producing more oil today. Prices would be down even further. Is that true? Um, <laughs> certainly, you know, more investment would be great. But I would say when you when you limit what the companies can do, uh, that becomes a challenge. And I would also say, as a, as, a, as a reference, you know, we are exporting more product out of the country, which is great. That's, that actually helps our GDP locally. But we're also incentivizing products like diesel and gasoline to be exported financially from the EPA. So um, we want cleaner burning fuels here, but also everywhere. And I think right now the, the, the EPA is actually incentivizing exports, which is ultimately going to end up hurting a little bit here locally, meaning, meaning higher prices here until that, uh, until that changes. So here's what the American Petroleum Institute answered the president by saying, oil companies do not set prices. Global commodity markets do. Increasing taxes on American energy discourages investment in new production, which is the exact opposite of what is needed. That according to Mike Summers. Because they're talking about taxing the oil companies because they're making profits. Do you agree with that? I don't agree with it, man. It's definitely going to hire. It's definitely going to increase the cost. You know, an interesting example recently was um, some of the states um, lowering the, the local sales tax for on-road consumers, which is great in the short term, and then certainly and the service sounds fantastic. But the reason prices in the market are going up is to curb demand. If you lower taxes temporarily, you're just helping demand stay higher. And so those higher prices ultimately will help the market either bring more investment or curb demand short term. So sometimes when we get in there and we kind of mess around with the taxes, I think that actually ends up hurting things. Why is diesel so much more expensive? Why are we running out? Let's clarify a little bit. We're not running out, I would say. We are at a very low level of diesel fuel compared to the past. So from a reference point, you think about the level of supply with where demand, the pace that demand is on, 25 days is the current uh, uh, supply availability in the U.S. That's been the run right now for, I think, three weeks in a row. We did hit 34 days in the middle of September. We're at 25 days now, so that certainly is that, that decline has kind of spooked the market. And that run-up in price in that time frame is meant to do one of two things, either uh, increase supply or curb demand. And that curb demand could be both exports leaving the country, but also just domestic demand here. So uh, I would hope we would see that improve, but that means prices might have to stay a little bit higher for a little bit longer to really kind of balance things out and get us back over 30 days of supply in the U.S. Andy Milton's here, Senior Vice President of Supply at Mansfield Oil Company. Uh, right now, diesel stocks are the lowest level in 40 years. Uh, at another dollar per gallon premium to the gasoline price, as diesel is already historically expensive at 477, uh, 377 of the national a- average. 
So a lot of truckers uh, are really having their livelihoods affected. Can you explain how and why? Well, certainly. Again, they're they're going to have to pass on that that higher diesel price, and that, that hits every consumer in, in every way you could possibly imagine. There's nothing that we consume that doesn't come on a train, truck, or plane, one way or the other, somewhere across the country. So, uh, you know, we're all going to feel that a little bit. Um, hopefully, it's short term, but you know, the fear is, given the fact that we actually have less production in the U.S. now from a supply perspective than we did pre-COVID, because of the lockdowns and, and refineries that end up closing that weren't profitable those refineries aren't going to open back up most likely. And so we're either going to have to, you know, stop exporting as much maybe and or curb that demand here domestically to help kind of balance things out. And you describe, if you can, uh, for the layman, the world global market. So, for example, if we put more oil on on the market, we're not necessarily getting that oil, right? It just goes into the global, uh, the global pot, and then we're just – the price is set, and then we buy it, Correct. Yes. Yeah. And again, there's also grades of oil. So sometimes it's optimizing the value. If the U.S. can consume a cheaper grade but has a higher value grade, then it might export that product and import in a cheaper product. And it's all about just making sure things are optimizing from a profitability standpoint. What's the main difference between the previous administration and this one when it comes to your business? And again, that's a tough one to answer fully, but I would say it certainly seems this particular administration versus maybe some previous ones, uh, you know, we, I think everyone wants to be pro-environment and wants to be green, but I would, I would challenge us. We've also been accustomed to a, a type of lifestyle as a, an entire generation, entire population. We want clean, safe, uh, cheap, reliable energy. Well, that doesn't always mean green energy. And I think there's a there's a structure and a process and a phase that would probably be safer for everyone to kind of meet those requirements of cheap, uh, reliable, and safe. But that doesn't mean just flipping the switch uh, immediately. And it means maybe a, a proper transition with the proper kind of planning to, to make sure that everyone uh, has access to that uh, cheaper, uh, reliable energy. Would you gut the uh, permitting process? Would that be easier? You know, I'm, I'm not 100% sure there, quite honestly. I would say probably opening up infrastructure and investment in pipelines. Because, again, Canada has a great crude quality. It has a crude that uh, is valued uh, cheaper. So being able to consume that and use it here in an easier way would be fantastic. More rail cars is probably not the way to go. That's just not a very reliable, efficient system. But more pipelines is. Why do we do that? Uh, why would we be content using rail cars? Knowing that there's an environmental risk to that. Well, I mean, what's the reasoning behind it? Even though you don't subscribe to it, you must have had someone try to explain to you the rationale of it. Yeah, I haven't. I haven't. I've not heard that positive rationale, quite honestly. Uh, you know, pipelines are, while they can be, um, you know, maybe costly to an initial investment, they're a fantastic long-term, uh, efficient mode of transportation. The the fact is, the U.S. today even at the current prices, relatively speaking, has a very cheap energy uh, footprint and, and cost because of the pipeline network that's been in place for, in some cases, 50, 60, 70, or 80 years. So uh, let's hope we, uh, we maybe get that done. Is it possible to set up a North American alliance between Mexico and Canada? Do we need anybody else's oil and gas? You know, I don't know the answer to that fully. I would say, you know, things are global, though, and we are in a global world. So just being able to have access to markets and being able to even help supply the market in some cases. I mean, we're still the, the, the globe's largest producer of crude here in the U.S. And the fact that we have that control is pretty amazing. 
I do find it ironic we want to complain about OPEC and other countries, yet we're willing to tap into our own reserves and change our own production levels. So I think it's a little bit of a, a challenge in how we have that conversation, but I would say as much as we can invest in our, in our own situation is, is, only, is only a positive. What has done, done, been done to fracking over the last 18 months? You know, the, the challenge, interestingly enough, has been labor, uh, supply chain challenges. You know, I think a lot of companies have been, uh, you know, spurred by the, the, the past issues where they make major investments, take major risk, and the market falls down, and, and they basically have to lose money or, or uh, cut staff. And then no one wants to go work for a company where they've constantly been laid off previously. So that industry has been really challenged with that. I could see that if we could get some sustained prices for a while, that that can probably get back. And there's already signs that the U.S. production is continuing to increase. Um, the release of the SPRs, there's no doubt that that has helped keep prices lower now. At some point, though, that does create a floor, essentially, for the market to kind of rely on for, for prices in the future. But, um, you know, I, I definitely want to make sure and encourage investment long term for our long term future. Uh, all right, Andy, uh, you're uh your industry is under fire, and I think people need competence to understand what's going on because you have to know your business to be able to criticize your business. Unfortunately, I think very few politicians know your business. Is that frustrating to you? <laughs> At times, it is certainly frustrating and challenging because in the end, you know, everyone wants um, – their goods, their services, they want to be able to get to where they're going uh, safely, uh, you know, efficiently, reliably. No one wants to have their plans changed. But the fact is it's, it is a challenge in infrastructure. It is a challenge in industry. But I think as an overall, the, the U.S. infrastructure has been fantastic. And, and, and you compare to, to situations and things and the fact that we're, for the most part, reliable in, on, our, on ourselves as opposed to someone else, which is, a, I think, a great uh, a great sign of, of where we've been, and hopefully we can continue to kind of stay on that pace going forward. Well, let's hope so. You guys need advocates for your business. You can't just be a punching bag, especially when you're so vital for the American economy. Uh, and, Andy, a guy like you who knows so much about it is, is, is invaluable. Uh, I saw that up close and personal. Senior Vice President of Supply at Mansfield Oil, Andy Milton, thanks so much. Thanks, Brian. I appreciate it. You got it. one 408 So that is the new target of the President of the United States, and I think it's unjust, and I think it's inaccurate. What do you think? Varney and company in about 15 minutes, but next is you. Brian Kilmeade Show. Giving you everything you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. All right, thanks so much for being with us, everybody. Let's go out to Dennis, very patient over in Indiana, WTRC, one of my favorite affiliates. Hey, Dennis. Hey, how are you today? Good, good. You heard us talk about oil and gas. I wanted to get that out because I hate when people play politics with industries they know nothing about. And you're exactly right. I was, I was telling the guys that, you know, four weeks ago I'm paying two fifty, two forty five is our limit. Then it dropped down to 225 on a limit. That's the amount of, that we could get. Not gallons, Brian. This is just cash. And today I stopped to fill up. It was 125. Wow. So I gave me a grand total of like 28 gallons, and that was it. And it but it's affecting everyone's utility bills, too. And now they tell us to plug in. But, uh, you know, go get a hybrid car. Go get a plug-in uh, electric car, really. But if you're out in California where it's going to be in demand, and you're not going to allow to buy new gas cars or have new gas stations? They're telling you can only do it two hours a day because they have no grid. 
And you're exactly right. And where are we going to get the power to feed this grid? Coal. If we're not using coal or, or diesel or anything else, because wind and solar sure are not going to take up any of the gaps. You know what I'm hoping? I'm, I'm just hoping that people look at this not as Republicans or Democrats and be practical. Why should your family be freezing? We are the, in America. We're working hard. We're generating revenue. We're freeing the world, supplying humanitarian aid. At least, am I allowed to use the heat? Am I allowed to use the air conditioning? Can I get gas for a decent price without having someone say we're ruining the world and planet when we know to strip mine these uh, this to get natural these natural metals are doing the same exact thing or going to China is not in our national interest. That's what I hope people keep in mind at the midterms. Final thought. Final thought is is when she was complaining about diesel uh, diesel burns clean on clean idol with the death they put in it and I hope to God that the Republicans take everything over again and actually do something this time and pass some measures that could tell what is going on in D.C. at this moment. At least they'll try to stop crime, enforce the border, and drill. They'll do it, and you'll know exactly who's standing in the way if they don't. Radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Police say zip ties were found at the scene, just like the ones found on those who were hunting Nancy Pelosi at the Capitol on January 6th. And that's not the only similarity. Zip ties. He had zip ties with him. What does that tell you? Uh, and duct tape and was asking for Nancy that this was a violent act targeted against the Speaker of the House. There's a performative nature of, of the political violence we've seen. We saw it on, on January 6th. It was very similar to January 6th. It's reports that the same chant was used by this guy they have in custody that was used on January 6th. Okay. I'm amazed at people. They're so desperate, and maybe they're sincere, but I would like to think they're just desperate to change the narrative on this midterm to make it seem as though the rhetoric that they claim that was uh, present on January 6th is now pervasive through society and part of Republican mantra. When most of the time Republicans were getting beat up for the last three since 2015 when Trump started to run, they're on the other side of things. You look at all the all the uh, the stuff that took place in the streets when they would come to rallies. So this guy, this DePape character, is as vile as it gets. He's from Canada, overstayed his visa, shouldn't even be here. So an illegal alien in a sanctuary city. I'm talking about the guy that attacked Paul Pelosi and wanted to get Nancy Pelosi. He has on his bus that he lives in a BLM flag. On his bus, he has a pride flag. He lives in this broken down yellow bus where he was accused by, I guess, his wife or girlfriend of sexually assaulting his own kids. He is a nudist. He is a despicable character. If you think that he's taking his marching orders from Donald Trump or Bernie Sanders, you don't think that there's people swimming in his head, that he deserves an institution, not somebody that should be blamed on Donald Trump or any MAGA Republican. But it's unbelievable that they're getting away saying that. Zip ties were used by the guy that wanted to kill Brett Kavanaugh. Do you remember that? But no one seems to care about that. I am amazed. I thought there'd be a few people pointing out that, you know, Steve Scalise was shot by a Bernie Sanders supporter. Maybe a couple of times it came up on this show. Listen, guy thought the best thing for Bernie Sanders to kill as many Republicans as possible. First thing to bring up, important to bring up, I thought. 
once in a while, but I don't harp on it. They led with this before we knew any details. Now, there's some problems with this case. I, I just don't know any answers. I didn't know why the prosecutor could not identify who answered the door. I don't know why, how this, how Paul Pelosi manipulated his way to get to the bathroom. I'm happy he did. He was able to survive because of it. This guy's a psycho that needs to be locked up for the rest of his life. I'm happy about that. But you can't put him on any party. He's mentally ill like 99%, say 90% of the people on the streets today. This is the people pushing you on subways, the people harassing you in the streets. These people are insane or addicted to drugs. They're not uh, unable to make the rent. That's the new complexion of the un- the homeless in America. That's the story. So listen to Rand Paul, who was beat up, and no one seemed to care, especially on the left. They seemed to relish it. Cut 24. There's an eagerness on the left to make this political and immediately to start blaming Republicans. But where's the sympathy, even from the left, for Paul Pelosi? I mean, I'm sure he's suffering today. He's been through this horrific assault. And nobody's really talking about him because even the left is talking about making this political and blaming it on Republicans. Listen, absolutely. 82 years old, gets beat up. How he could have absolutely no security is crazy, except for San Francisco. I haven't been there in a long time, but I hear it's overrun with crime in beautiful areas. I hear she's been broken into before. Cut 25. When I was assaulted, I was struck once in the back. I didn't hear my assailant coming because I had noise cancellation earphones on. I was struck once in the back so hard that I had six ribs broken, including three of them that were completely separated. My lung was damaged. I coughed up blood for over a year. My lungs filled up with fluid. I about died from an infection, had part of my lung removed, and then Nancy Pelosi's daughter felt free to go ahead and tweet that, uh, you know, my neighbor should come back and do it again, that my neighbor was right. See, you understand why he's a little bitter, a little ticked off? And understands that, too. He says, listen, my, my heart goes out. He tweeted that out. My heart goes out to Paul Pelosi. Hopes he gets better, as I paraphrase. But, you know, it's too bad Nancy Pelosi's daughter didn't have the same feeling for him. And they were also laughing at him on other channels. And we played the clips. And Jesse played it last night for his show. And lastly, from Rand Paul, cut 26. But I will tell you sincerely, I do want Paul Pelosi to make a speedy recovery. And I know what it's like to go through the pain. And I know he's in pain today. And I think we should see him as a human being, not as just sort of this, you know, we dehumanize everybody in politics. It's like people don't care. They think you don't feel pain. Well, I certainly did and certainly still do. And I think we should have some compassion for Paul Pelosi and not make everything about politics. Yeah. So that's a major story. The other oil and gas in the president of the United States not being asked. It's got to be humiliating, even at 79, 80 years old now, not to be asked. Just stay home. Go ahead. Go to memorial service in New York. Uh, you know, go show up with Barack Obama in Pennsylvania, but don't show up alone. Go to help out Charlie Crist, who's going to lose by minimum 10 points in Florida. Uh, and Barack Obama is going to seven different states. It's got to be hard. But yesterday, he spent his time vilifying the oil and gas industry where you lose. I don't have any empathy for him at all. He shouldn't be president. We all know that if he had the campaign, he wouldn't have worked. We see what happens when he's got to work two days in a row. He starts spouting out things that make no sense. He can't pronounce his words. I don't even know what he knows what he's saying. Uh, Eric, um, listen on WDBO. Hey, Eric. Hey, Brian. Great topic today. Um, you're exactly right about the vilifying he treats Exxon and Shell just like the Saudi prince. He hates them. If I were Exxon and Shell, I'd be hoarding every dollar being expecting to be put out of business. He tells Vanguard 
and uh, other investment companies not to invest into petroleum, tanking my 401k, but he says that the Republicans want to take my Social Security, your take. Um, that's his other message. Yeah, it's Social Security, 401, excuse me, uh, Social Security, Medicare, what are you talking about? Rick Scott put out a statement, and, and, and I don't think he probably should have done it politically, but I know what he meant responsibly, that at one point we have to look at our budget, non-discretionary spending, and reevaluate a lot of it. So they go, he's trying to take away your Medicaid, your Medicare, and your Social Security. So that's what Barack Obama is saying on the stump. But the comeback, obviously, if you were debating, there's no debates anymore, is where's the 401k with the inflation, with people on fixed incomes? We're watching money just disappear in a way which it has not disappeared since 1990. So that is it. That is the story of the economy so far. So this is where Democrats are forgetting. They're not addressing the economy's bad. They're not addressing the crimes out of control. And that is why when people analyze what's going to take place, they're optimistic. So Ari Fleischer weighed in. Now, the, of course, they're, they're, he's a Republican and conservative. But he knows he's on the record now at a popular show, Sean Hannity's show. And if he comes out and says something and it's not true, like, for example, Dick Morris said that Mitt Romney was going to win by a landslide, his credibility's hurt. Listen to what he's predicting. Cut eight. The first midterm election of a president's time in office is always a course correction. But this year, Sean, it looks like it really is a genuine wave. And the way I look at it, if the Democrats had a perfect night, they could win 54 seats in the Senate. They'd have to knock off the Republicans in Pennsylvania, Ohio, North Carolina, and Wisconsin. I think Republicans can hold all four of those seats now. That's pretty clear. Republicans on a perfect wave night could win 56 seats. A week ago, I would have told you, I don't see it happening. I don't see 56. Now I can tell you, Sean, I think there's about a 25% chance the wave is big enough. Republicans are going to end up with 56 seats. Hmm. I mean, that means, well, let's say they have 50. That means they flip the Georgia seat. That means they flip Nevada. That'll be 52. That means they flip New Hampshire. That'll be 53. Obviously hold all the other seats. That means they'd have to take Colorado. Uh, They're all good candidates, just don't know if that's going to happen. That means Tiffany Smiley's got to win. I will say this. Tom Cotton believes Tiffany Smiley's going to win. I said, does Bulldog have a chance? He goes, I think, he can, he's, I think he's going to win. He absolutely thinks Dr. Oz and Herschel's going to win. And he's actually been out on the campaign trail, which makes me think he's going to run for president. I would have asked him that in a different hour, but he's already answered me two or three times. He's focusing on 2022, but he's not ruled it out. And I'll tell you, you can't find a smarter guy than uh, Tom Cotton. Quick announcement. Um, I'm going to be a simulcast with... Stuart Varney, but quick announcement. Uh, I want you to join me December 2nd in Newark, New Jersey, on stage, a chance for me to talk to you, an America great from the start. That will be, that might, one of these is going to be streamed on Fox Nation. It's not Fox Nation's one of the producers, going to be special Fox Nation deals there. And then before that, November 13th, I'm going to be in Tulsa, Oklahoma. KRMG listeners, uh, grab a seat while you can. The VIP seats is great because I get a chance to talk to you. I go there, Barnes & Noble, I sit in line, talk to you for 10 seconds, feel terrible. Now's the chance to hang out on a Sunday night. The next day I'm in Oklahoma City, so I'm going to be sticking around. And then in Brandon, uh, Brandon, Mississippi, flying into New Orleans, so it's about a two-hour ride. Brandon, Mississippi, I want to see everybody there. Huge theater, a chance to talk about five of my history books, including The President and Freedom Fighter, the paperback now on sale, and give a perspective on where America's been, our miraculous past, 
and look at our future, politics today. We'll have the midterms to talk about by then. It'll be uh, just fresh off the presses. Brian Kilmeade Show. Now, the Brian Kilmeade Show joins Fox Business's Varney and Company with Stuart Varney, live on your radio and on Fox Business. Here's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back, everyone. Stuart Varney is going to be joining us shortly, and we'll do a simulcast. At the back end, we usually have a little bit of time, so you're going to get a chance to see what's going on here on FBN. Uh, that is the fastest-growing cable network in all the land, plus you get it streaming. Stuart Varney has uh, got the, one of the top shows in the country he also has America Built, which is uh, fantastic. It airs on uh, Tuesday nights. He focused on the Astrodome last week. But uh, locally in New York, it's one of these times where New York story is a national story. One of the biggest upsets will, could be Zeldin over Hochul. We'll see. Fed has to clamp down tighter, so down go stocks. 10.51, the man on the screen is Brian Kilmeade. The governor of New York, Kathy Hochul, says crime is just a Republican conspiracy. Brian is Lee Zeldin going to beat Kathy Hochul solely on the issue of crime? Well, the, the thing that's put him in contention is two things, identifying inflation and crime being a major issue and identifying that about more people are leaving New York than even California percentage-wise, and most of them are going to Florida or Texas. But in terms of crime, she says data deniers. Have you seen some of the crime stats? I was amazed by this. I mean, the question is, has she seen some of them when it comes to what's happening with crime in terms of uh, in terms of Grand theft auto up 140%. In terms of uh, crime and felony assault up 14%. Robbery up 33%. Burglary 30%. Grand larceny 40%. The things that's down are shootings and murders slightly, but way above 2019. So not only does she have a bad plan for fighting crime, she won't acknowledge it's an issue. And that issue that she said, that line that she gave when she said, uh, I don't know why this crime thing is such a big deal with you. Serving your time. I mean, meanwhile, there's attacking Rikers because our prison system's out of control and they're understaffed. Yeah, good Lord. What a mess. Uh, here's another one for you. Uh, President Randy Weingarten, Teachers Union, accused of gaslighting parents. Here's the quote. The bottom line is everyone suffered in the pandemic because of the pandemic. The disruption was everywhere and it was bad regardless of whether schools were remote or in person. That's not all. Weingarten agreed that the U.S. should declare a pandemic amnesty, forgive everyone for what they did and said during COVID. Brian, she will take no responsibility. There's no accountability here. Uh, my personal opinion is that the teachers' union wrecked public education. A couple of things. Don't forget that it was the teachers' union. There, there's things that are never going to get back again. People talk about grades dipping. We can get it back with extra help and things to that nature. But... What about the kids that shut their Zoom off or never put it on? They're never going to get that year back. Number two, what about the relationships that never were made? What about the senior years that just went by the boards where kids said, I'm not even going to go to college after this? The relationships, if you think back, I don't care how old you are, you think back to your last years in high school and you can remember those people that you're going to see at your reunions. That's gone forever. I know I had a senior who went right to college after, Zoomed the whole time. And most people, she would say to me, whatever you say, whatever you do, Dad, don't ever think we're learning anything because no one's learning anything. And I also know teachers that tried so hard but could not get the kids engaged. Imagine first graders on Zoom. You do not get amnesty for that. Plus, remember the mask mandates. When the kids would go to school, they sat there with masks on, which – 
function as muzzles for these uh, grade schoolers, the third graders and fourth graders, the progress they didn't make, the friendships that never took root, the personalities that didn't flourish, and there's no plan in place to get them the extra help needed to catch them up. And the vaccinations, they let, let, uh. let teachers lock everybody out, the six feet apart that was based on nothing but the pandemic in 1907 to 1919 or whatever the last pandemic was. All this stuff, it's unforgivable because we're still paying the price. And lastly, the people that paid the greatest price, the impoverished neighborhoods and districts, they paid the greatest price for the people you say you're there for. You were there for the teachers. You were there for your union. You weren't there for the kids. And the teachers, for the most part, wanted to get back, but they were helpless because the union wouldn't allow it. Education and the performance of the public schools during the pandemic, they should be major issues one week from today. And I think they will be, actually, because parents have kind of woken up from this. Did you see the Fox Power rankings? That uh, the Republicans have a real momentum here, especially in the House, probably end up with a 19-seat majority in the House. Sounds good to me, Brian. Well, on the Senate side, that that sounds about average, uh, what people can expect. But on the Senate side, if you look at the Siena poll, it doesn't look like they're outside Nevada. It doesn't have the Republicans winning anything. Don't forget this, because the momentum is totally different. If you look at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, for example, in Georgia, it, you see Herschel basically you're up percentage points. You look at the Siena New York Times poll, he's down four. I mean, yeah, they have but- black salt in a dead heat. My goodness. But, but, but wait a second. The Siena poll, the time Siena poll was taken October 24th to the 26th. That's six days ago. The momentum that the Republicans had since then, I think, will change those polls' results, or maybe. Especially anyway. the debate in Pennsylvania. I mean, after that, how could, you, how could you not change your mind? Hello, uh, everyone, absolutely. and good night. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I remember that one. Yeah. Hey, Brian, you're all right. See you again soon. Thanks Go get him, Stuart. Here. Thank you. Uh, 1-866-408-7669. Bill, you're, you're in Boston. Hey, Bill. Actually, Brian, I'm in Florida, but thanks for taking my call. Okay. Listen, uh, I love your show and everything. You're, you're great. Um, are we still communicating here? Yep. Okay. Go ahead. Uh, okay. This is, this is, uh, I, I've been watching in the last week, uh, different, uh, congressmen, who are in Congress right now, and they talk about on their first day after they get the House and Senate of working on these committees to do A, B, and C, whether it's Hunter Biden or whether it's this or that and everything else. I think personally that's a huge mistake. Newt Gingrich put out a card, and these are the major things. I think all hands in the first week have to go on the deck and get these issues solved. Real quick, you got 30 seconds. Um, I'll get it passed by the House and Senate, okay, and get this guy and have a plan of how you're going to get this guy to pass it and have a veto plan. Because if you don't do that within the first three or four weeks, you're going to lose all confidence in the American public. Yeah, but uh, it's hard to get the president to sign anything without leverage. Does he need somebody confirmed? Does he need something else put in place? There's got to be a little bit of a give and take there. But in terms of investigation, getting rid of those 87,000 IRS agents bolstering the border, got to press that issue. News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show.
Brian Kilmeade. Uh, thanks so much for being there, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, 1-866-408-7669. A little bit later in the show, we take a look at comedy when it used to be funny and it used to play such a role in our political process as we're seven days away now from Election Day in the midterms. And after that, Herschel Walker joins me from the campaign trail. We go a half hour with him so to get an idea of what it's like. I just saw the Atlanta Journal-Constitution poll. It has him up by percentage points. Pretty amazing. Uh, and standing by, one of my favorite all-time guests and one of the MVPs of the Trump administration, Robert O'Brien, former U.S. ambassador and 28th national security advisor of this nation. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. There's an eagerness on the left to make this political and immediately to start blaming Republicans. But where's the sympathy even from the left for Paul Pelosi? Uh, Senator Rand Paul weighs in. He was attacked, didn't get much from the left. Paul Pelosi smashed in the head by a crazed attacker who really wanted the speaker. And it's Republicans' fault? MAGA Republicans to blame? Insanity. Number two. The profits are a windfall of war. You know, at a time of war, any company receiving historic windfall profits like this has a responsibility to act beyond their narrow self-interest. Will President Biden ever understand the oil industry? The economy. First, the good news. The stock market is up. The bad news. Everything else. Utility bills, oil, gas, and diesel, and diesel, by the way, running out. Our president decided to blame oil companies and vilify Saudi Arabia two weeks ago. No wonder why he's been off the campaign trail in this closing week. Number one. We're talking about races that Republicans internally wouldn't talk about recently. The, the New Hampshire Senate races you highlight, highlighted earlier. Uh, the New York governor's race, which is really big on crime this time. The Republican map is expanding. The Democratic map is shrinking. Seven days to Election Day. One of the final polls released from the GD, GOP is trailing. They show him trailing in almost every major close race. I look at that. The New York Times and Siena poll. You are now on the clock. Are you buying that? We'll break it all down with closing comments and uh, and where the momentum stays. Robert O'Brien's out in the West Coast, or at least he was last time I talked to him. Uh, Robert, welcome back. Hey, Brian. Super to be with you. California guy still? Yeah, still out in Pasadena. So let me ask you, in Pasadena, it's, it's, is there a— it's, it's, it's sunny and 70. I love the weather, uh, but you got a huge homeless problem, a huge tax issue, and an, and an exit. Everyone seems to have an exit plan. Is there a sense that things might be willing to ch- ready to change in certain districts in California? Well, look, I think we're going to pick up, and this is really important for uh, for the House majority. I think we're going to pick up three or four more seats, just like we did last time in the congressional delegation. And California is going to have, for the first time, fourteen or fifteen Republican congressmen, congresswomen. And that's big. And then I, we've got a, a race out here for controller, Lonnie Chen, um, is an Asian-American, uh, Taiwanese-American uh, candidate. Great guy. Uh, I think he may win the controller race. That's important because the controller can audit every every office in, uh, in California, and he might bring some sanity back to, to some of what's going on. So there, there, there's some glimmers of hope he's got out here in, uh, in blue California. You had such a uh, wealth of knowledge internationally. We're now in a situation where we're paying more for gas. You guys are paying twice as much, almost what the rest of the country is. And diesel, we're actually running out in the Northeast. And we have a situation where the President of the United States decided that he had a good idea. Let's uh, vilify the oil companies, cut 15. 
Their profits are a windfall of war, the windfall from the brutal conflict that's ravaging Ukraine and hurting tens of millions of people around the globe. You know, at a time of war, any company receiving historic windfall profits like this has a responsibility to act are the, beyond. Are the oil companies shirking their responsibility? No, look, this is this is really, really absurd. I mean, the, the first two energy decisions that the Biden administration made when they came in was to cancel the Keystone XL pipeline, which would have brought 900,000 barrels of Canadian oil from our friends in Canada down to be refined in America. It could be refined as diesel or gas. Uh, and and that, so, so that's when we talk about losing the 2 million barrels of output from Saudi, half that would have been covered by finishing the last 25 or 30 miles of the Keystone pipeline and bringing that Canadian oil down. That's number one. Number two, the president then lifted sanctions on Nord Stream 2 and put Putin in a position to, to invade Ukraine. So, so he approved Nord Stream 2 for the Russians uh, and canceled the Keystone XL for us. Two other factors on, on, the, on the diesel issue and refining. You know, banks are being told by the administration and by the Democrat Party, don't invest in fossil fuels. If you don't, don't make loans even to, to companies, whether it's a, a big company like Chevron or a smaller regional, like independent, like Devon or Continental, don't loan these oil companies money because what they're doing is bad. So he, the president's wondering why we're not getting new refining ca- capability. The banks at his urging are not loaning money to the oil companies. They can't make the capital investments. And then there are 9,000 permits that are still pending uh, at the state and federal level for, for folks who want to drill or build pipelines or expand refineries. And those 9,000 permits have never been cleared. So There's a war on energy. It's not coming from Saudi Arabia. It's not coming from Ukraine. It's not coming from Russia. It's coming from this administration on our our domestic energy production capability. It's it's a national security nightmare for us. The other problem is, and you know this better because you know the international landscape, Saudi Arabia and Iran, we've managed to alienate both. Now they they seem to be working with OPEC Plus, work with Russia to manipulate the oil price. And... We decide to vilify and maybe pull back missile defense from Saudi Arabia. Is that the right tact? Look, we had a very good relationship with Saudi Arabia. The country's not perfect, but just like most countries in the world aren't perfect. They make mistakes, and uh, but they're they're a strategic ally for two reasons. Number one, because of the production uh, ability that they have to to ramp up production very quickly, uh, yeah, and we surrendered that. And number two, they were a bulwark against Iran, which is the the number one national security threat that we face in the Middle East and and is now becoming even a, a player in Europe as it supplies drones to Ukraine. So we, we basically pushed the Saudis away. We had this this crazy campaign where we asked the Russians to negotiate a deal with us for us with the Iranians, and that's still going on. And, and we've been begging the Iranians to rejoin the JCPOA, uh, which is a terrible deal and, and is going to lead to a nuclear Iran. And so, so we've, we've managed to to, to, to go hat in hand to our adversary, alienate our ally, our key ally in the region. And it's not just Saudi. The Kuwaitis follow the Saudis. The UAE follows the Saudis. You know, all the Gulf Cooperation Council states do. Uh, we, we gave up the momentum we had on the Abraham Accords. I mean, there was no reason that Saudi and Kuwait and, and Qatar couldn't have joined the Abraham Accords and, and expanded peace in the Middle East. But instead, we had, it was this Obama-era dream of, of reconciling with the Ayatollahs, who even, even our own people don't want them in power. So very big strategic mistake, and and we're we're paying a price for it now, unfortunately. So right now there's a massive, very courageous riots led by women in Iran, and they were told to knock it off. They have a a thousand people on trial today. The riots are continuing in the streets. 
What role, Robert O'Brien, should the U.S. be playing in this, knowing that being overly aggressive makes us the uh, gives them an out and lets us blame us as if we're behind it? How do you handle this? Well, number one, you know, for for folks who claim that they're for women's rights and for human rights, for gay and lesbian rights, uh, the, the 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 folks in the Democrat Party and and unfortunately in this administration are kowtowing and and have this extended hand to the Iranians. You don't really care about women. You don't really care about gays who are being killed in in Iran. If all you want is to deal with the Iranians at any cost, so not, number one, we need to take a moral stand uh, and, and you know. Without getting involved necessarily in the in the movement, but we need to support and and give moral support, be that shining city on the hill for these brave women in Iran and 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 people in Iran who are seeking their human rights. So number one, we've got to be a leader on that internationally, and and that's totally inconsistent with how we're handling the JCPOA negotiations. Number two, look what the Iranians need, what the Iranian people need is internet access, and we need to figure out how to to take down the firewalls of the Iranian government. Not to allow the Iranian government to to run the internet there, and, and give them the, the the keys to the internet, so to speak. We need to use our tech companies, our big tech companies, uh, Facebook, Google, uh, Apple. Uh, we need to use Starlink with uh, Elon Musk and figure out how to smuggle Starlink uplink units, like we did in Ukraine, to the Iranian people. Give them the right, the ability to communicate with each other and organize their protests and, and resist the regime. And that'll go a long way to, to helping the people of Iran eventually liberate themselves and have freedom. 20 seconds left. Robert, do you expect Donald Trump to declare he's running in 2024? I, I expect that he will. I, I haven't talked to the president about that, but uh, the former president, but I think he will. And, uh, and I think if he runs, he'll, he'll get the Republican nomination. There's just a, you know, the, the, the Republican base is, I, I'm out campaigning for Adam Laxalt and Mike Lee this weekend in Nevada and Utah, but the Republican base is still, we got a lot of good candidates, but I think they're, they're behind the former president for sure. Would Robert O'Brien be on Team Trump? <laughs> I'll, I'll be on, uh, uh, yes, if he, if he declares, and, uh, and I'll be able to, whoever the Republican nominee is, I'll be 100% behind him. Go get him, Robert O'Brien. Thank you. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Welcome back, everybody. I just got to tell you, I had um, an interview I want to share with you from One Nation. Uh, and it's just about late night television, SNL. It has to become an organ for the left. Instead of just being funny, equal opportunity offender, humor. That's the way it used to be. So I asked Michael Loftus, one of the finest comedians and writers in the country, along with the writer Christian Toto, to join us and talk about the role that comedy had, especially late night television, especially with this election and the one they've just thrown in the street in order to be left wing ideologues. Here's my interview with Loftus and Toto. Late night comedy is not what it used to be. I'm sure you've noticed political bias is flat out destroying it, in my view. You know, back in the day, John Stewart and Johnny Carson, what they said mattered. They even played major roles, I think, affecting the outcome of elections. But now the late night lineup is kind of irrelevant, with the exception of Greg Gutfeld. They only take aim at Republicans, can't seem to let Donald Trump go. And people just don't think it's funny. The inside of Herschel Walker's head is basically a bag of loose Scrabble tiles. According to a new book, former President Trump once tried to pay for an attorney's legal fees with a horse. Not Rudy, though. When it was time to pay Rudy, Trump said, does anyone have change for a pigeon? 
Joining me now is film critic and editor of Hollywood and Toto, Christian Toto, and the host of that uh, that comedy show, and that, of course, Michael Loftus, who does have some fun, and you stay, and your show is fantastic. Welcome to both of you. Thanks for having me. All right, first off, uh, to you, Christian, what's happened? Do they realize they've made themselves irrelevant? Well, I think things changed when President Trump ran for office. I think they went from left-leaning to the left of Bernie Sanders, and they really haven't gone back, even though Trump is not in office anymore. I, I don't know if they care. You know, they've actually addressed this sometimes, and Jimmy Kimmel has said, you know, it's not good riddance to my Republican viewers, it's riddance. So they understand what's going on, but they'd rather tell the jokes, you got to put them in scare quotes, the way they are right now, then actually go back to real comedy. That's true. I mean, does it surprise me? They say if you're a Republican or you don't think it's funny, I don't want you anyway. Have you ever approached an audience like that? Can you imagine doing stand-up where if you don't like me, leave? <laughs> I really can't. I just don't understand where's the comedic sensibility. How can this many funny things be happening and completely ignore it? It's like... The well, for Joe example, what has Joe Biden done that could possibly be uh, fodder for <laughs> right, humor? Right, he's so debonair. He just trips up the stairs like Fred Astaire. <laughs> he knows exactly who's in the room. He doesn't talk to And he knows people. how to leave. <laughs> right, right. He's awesome. Yes, he's like John Wayne and Charlie Chaplin had a baby and wrapped it up in Errol Flynn goodness. Yeah, when, when we're coming up with episodes of, of that show tonight, and thank you for nailing the title of the show, Right, you, I didn't say that the right way. But where, where do you... Uh, where, where where do you find out more about that, by the way? You go to thatshowtonight.com. Okay. It's awesome. It's like, I'm looking back as a comedian. I started out in stand-up, then wrote on, on sitcoms, a lot of shows. I'm looking back at this, and I'm like, seriously, no one's going to have that? It's like being at an all-you-can-eat buffet. And like, really? No one's going to touch the Biden trips up the stairs? No one's like, I'll take it. I'll take two helpings of that. Oh, he shakes hands with dead people? I'll have some of that. It's outrageous. You so, just can't leave all that comedy out there and not zap them. You know, Chris, the other thing is, it's not just uh, late night. It's also SNL. Uh, that used to be a hallmark of where to go to get funny or find out what is funny. It used to go at both sides. Here's an example of uh, Daryl Hammond and Will Ferrell attacking the opposite parties. Watch. I was then escorted into a private hotel room where the governor lowered his pants. There was something different about him, a mark or something, and then he asked me to kiss it. <laughs> Did she kiss it? You're going to have to buy the book to find out. Stock market's at 26000 right now. I had you guys down to a cool 8K. <laughs> now, I'm no economer, but even I know... <laughs> Even I know that was no bueno. That's funny. Yes, right. it's undeniably funny. And now there's like, it's almost a religious fervor with this woke, and you can't touch that, and you can't, and it's like, it's just not good when you, right. you just cannot mock that side. We just watched a debate right. with, with, uh, with Dr. Oz, who kind of looks like Count Chocula, going <laughs> up against Frankenstein's monster right. from... <laughs> from a Mel uh, Brooks movie. And, like, you're not going to make fun of that? SNL made fun of a Democratic governor who was blind. That's how fearless they were. Yes. It may be inappropriate. Who knows? John Stewart had two and a half million viewers. The Daily Show just uh, basically uh, said goodbye to a host that was getting about 500,000. Christian, where is it going? At some point, do people sober up? Or are we just going to go to YouTube and find what we want? Uh, I think it's both. I think the ratings decline we're seeing in late night TV is symbolic of what's happening, what you're describing right now. But I do think a lot of people are going online. There's a, a lot of funny 
comedians, humorists, satirists, impressionists who are saying, I don't want to be on SNL because I know what SNL is. It's no longer funny. It's no longer edgy. So what they do is they have Patreon accounts and they've got YouTube channels and they have all these different ways to, to be funny and to be irreverent and to really speak truth to power. And they're killing it. Uh, Ryan Long is a great example. Uh, Tyler Fisher is wonderful as well, does a great Fauci impression. You can't get that in SNL. You won't find it on Colbert. You can find it on YouTube, and they're making a, a good living at it. Michael, uh, there was a time in which you were a stand-up comedian. You do The Tonight Show. You made it. Nothing. The next day you wake up, if you killed it, your career is forever. Yeah. I talked to a comedian last week, John Christ. He said he did The Tonight Show. He almost got no response. He's much better with a comedy show he puts on YouTube himself. Not only that, you get paid. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. Yeah, but once upon a time, if, if Johnny Carson was like, come on over to the couch, you were made. And now people can go like, I was on David Letterman 22 times. <laughs> Nothing. It, it so, yeah, matter. it is online. And, and Christian brings up a very good point. When we started to do the sketch comedy, and we, we're going to make fun of everybody, left, right, and it's, it's a wonderful thing, we've already been thrown off of TikTok. We're not allowed to advertise on YouTube. We're not allowed to advertise on Facebook. If you're online, you still have to play between these lines. And that's why we, we our show lives at thatshowtonight.com. And we had to get our own servers because we didn't want Amazon to unplug us. It's amazing the hoops you still have to jump through just to tell jokes. Go to Truth Social. I'm sure Trump wouldn't kick you off. And you can always go to Twitter because Elon Musk wants to be a place, an open marketplace where all views are heard. Let's he's, hope he's right. He's back. You can almost hear them crying from here. I know. They are crying. They're <laughs> screaming and they're divorcing. It's going to be hard to cancel a guy who owns the world. It really will. All right. Uh, Christian, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Michael, it was great to see you. And I'm going to go watch your show live. Hopefully you won't make me pay. But I'm willing to. No, you're in with me. You get in for free, guy. Really? Just don't tell anybody. Edit that part. Uh-oh. Yeah, it's too late. <laughs> and by the way, if you do want somebody that is really funny on both sides, will make fun of people, it is Greg Gutfeld. I mean, at 11 o'clock at night, he gets started early. Uh, remember what Jimmy Kimmel said. Jimmy Kimmel said, not good riddance for those who don't like my show. But riddance, because I don't want you to listen to the show. I don't want you to watch the show. Can you believe that? They don't want you to watch because they're Democrats. They're progressive. They hate Trump. They hate Republicans. To me, I think we're all Americans, correct? Herschel Walker next. so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Some of you may not remember, but Herschel Walker was a heck of a football player. But, but here's the question. Does that make him the best person to represent you in the USA? Does that make him equipped to weigh in on the critical decisions? about our economy and our foreign policy and our future. He's a celebrity who wants to be a politician. And we've seen how that goes. Really? We've seen how that goes. All right, uh, let's find out how that celebrity feels about that, that athlete that even Barack Obama says was good. But did he bring up his business background? Did he bring up what he's done after? Joining us now is that man that President Obama was referring to, Herschel Walker. Herschel Eight days to go. The president took last weekend to go after you. How did it feel? 
Well, you know, I'm honored that he'll take the time for me to live in his brain uh, sort of rent-free because uh, he didn't talk about the economy. He didn't talk about the crime. He didn't talk about the things people are worried about in the state of Georgia. So I'm not sure why he came here just to go after me. And yet uh, he said I'm a celebrity, but all he hung out with was celebrities. He never hung out with me, so I can't be a celebrity. I guess so. Yeah, he never hung out with you. So I think that what I was amazed at, Herschel, I, I was I'm used to – Republicans getting the hard, uh, the short end of the stick when it comes to mass media. I'm not used to people going after Republicans, especially with you as a high profile, and they're going after your intellect. They're say, they're essentially through comedy. They're saying you're not smart. What is that? Yeah. What does that feel like? You know, it, it feels okay because if they watched the debate, they saw who was the smarter one up on that stage. And they can continue to talk about my intellect. And yet, uh, that's all it is, just talk. You know, I've had people that call me names when I was a little kid. And right now, I'm proud of who I am, proud of where I've come from. And right now, the reason they talk about it is they can't handle that. And uh, and I'm okay with it. And I continue to pray for them because that's what they have to do. They don't want to talk about the main issues because they know they haven't done right by this country and by this state. Uh, Senator Warnock don't want to talk about the crime. He don't want to talk about the border. He don't want to talk about the economy. Same thing as Obama. Obama, you know, he made a lot of money. And how did he make it? Not through working hard. I've learned to work hard, and that's how I made myself to who I am today. I never took advantage of anyone, but he has. You know, it's amazing, too, in this hyper hypersensitive world we're in, everyone's very cognizant of not using racial overtones. And in particular, I remember uh, I used this example. I heard this conversation about 10 years ago. They say, why is it when black quarterbacks are good, they say they're great athletes? Why is it when white quarterbacks are good, they talk about how smart they are? And I thought, wow, I never thought anything about it. As a white guy, I didn't know if, I, if that was true. I thought Warren Moon was smarter than he was an athlete, personally. But, uh, and then Randall Cunningham seemed more athletic than most. And I see Daniel Jones as a better athlete than almost anybody else. But if you're sensitive about that, I got it. How come people have no problem shelving all those types of things and going after you? Do you find that pretty amazing? Well, I don't because that's the way uh, the people on the left will do it. They will say and do anything for this seat, and that's what they're doing. I hope the people recognize that. Right now they will say or do anything because they want to contain power. Well, I told them they got to go over me. That's the reason I'm the one that they have to go through. And I'm not going to let them go through me. That's the reason I think God has prepared me for a time like this, because he knew I had to be tough. Because I have uh, blacks, I have whites, I have everybody coming after me, saying all types of things that they would never say if that was a Democrat. And they would never say those things. They can say it here, but it's not going to bother me, because this seat is too important for me to let it go just because they want to call me names. What do your numbers say, or how do, you, how do you feel? I mean, we heard Chuck Schumer caught on an open mic moment on the tarmac say he, they're, they're slipping in Georgia. That's about you. It so. is about me, and, and, and that's what's so strange about it. I hope Senator Warnock and the people can see that, that they're talking about him behind his back, and they were saying that I would do whatever they tell me to do. Well, he's been doing whatever they told him to do because he voted with them 96% of the time, and now they're talking behind his back. 
Well, what I want people to know is uh, Chuck Schumer, I'm glad he's not here in Georgia, that he's in New York, because if he was here in Georgia, he would be beat too, because what he's doing to this country, what he's doing to this, this state of New York, is not fair. It's not right. I think we need strong leaders in Washington right now, and that strong leader is, is Herschel Walker right now. We need Herschel Walker in Washington. I'm talking about my seventh, third person, but I know that, because I was to go to Washington and represent Georgia to the best of my ability, and not go and dance and sing for everyone else there. What could one senator do, Herschel? Say that again, sir. What, you could, know what, I can what do? could just one senator do? You know what I can do? I can become a leader. And I think right now that's what they need. They need leaders in Washington that care about this country. When they have put this country down, right now making our military weak, when they have put this country down, making our police officers where they seem to be like the demons and the criminals are the heroes, you need champions that's going to stand up for those people, and then you see other people standing up. This is not right what's going on. Right now, women cannot even go out at night and feel safe. And in a city, in a Democrat city, how can they feel safe going out at night alone? Right now, they're taking everyone that ever thought about retiring. They can't retire right now right. because they mess up this economy. Right now, this border is wide open, and they're not talking about it. They don't want to talk about it. They don't want to address those issues. So I hope everyone is listening to me all around the country that the left is not talking about the issues that they caused in less than two years. They caused this, and we cannot give them more time to totally screw up this country. I want you to hear a, a cut from the Brian Kemp, Stacey Abrams debate on law enforcement. Cut seven. Men and women in law enforcement know who is going to be with them, who has had their back and will continue to have their back, and that is me. And that's why we have the endorsement of 107 sheriffs around this state. As I pointed out before, I'm not a member of the good old boys club. So no, I don't have 107 sheriffs who want to be able to take black people off the streets, who want to be able to go without accountability. I don't believe every sheriff wants that. But I do know that we need a governor who believes in both defending law enforcement, also, but also defending the people of Georgia. So he, he says sheriffs who want to take black people off the streets. What does that mean? Well, that means that uh, I must agree with that, too, because I got 113 sheriffs that has endorsed me. And that is sad that we have people that are running for office that would say things like that. It is sad we have people that I'm running against that say America need to apologize for whiteness. But yet you're going to have people that are going to vote for them. But that's only in America. Only in America we can get someone that can have a say things like that that people will go out and cast a vote for. In other countries, I guarantee you they wouldn't have the right to say that. But because this country is so great that we give people the right to say those things, you can vote for someone like that. But yet what we have to do, though, to quit trying to separate America and bring people together, and I believe in unifying. I believe in representing everyone, not representing a certain party. So the last eight days, you know, you got to get you. This is your fourth quarter. This might even be your overtime. So you could be looking at a, a, a real overtime if you don't get 50 percent of the vote because it's so close. What is your closing message, Herschel? Well, my closing message right now is that everyone out there that is hesitant about voting for a non-politician like myself. I ask you to look at politicians like Joe Biden, Raphael, one out, what they've done in just in less than two years what they've done to this country, what they've done to the state of Georgia. And you ask yourself, can we take six more years of this? No, we can't. 
So I tell you to take a chance with Herschel Walker. I can promise you I'm going to fight for that Constitution. I'm going to fight the lawyer taxes. I'm going to fight to secure that border. I'm going to fight for our men and women in blue, fight for our military, and fight for your kids. Because the people that's in office right now would not do that. So when you finally had a chance to go behind the scenes and on the stage with Raphael Warnock after understanding that would be your matchup for really two years, what was it like? What was your interaction like? Had, had well, you known him before? It was because, uh, you know, I can tell you, he wanted to get off that stage after that debate. He was ready to leave. He thought he was going to go on that stage and run all over me. But anyone that knew me knew there was no way Raphael Warnock would beat me on a debate. And, Brian, you know me. Did you think he can beat me in a, in a debate? So they talk about intellect, and uh, and Obama talked about intellect. Where if Obama want to come down and Raphael want to come down, I would debate both of them together, and we'll see who who got the better intellect. Right now, what they're doing to this country is sad, and they're trying to hide it and cover up by calling people names. But is that what the people want? The people want leaders in Washington, not name callers. The other thing that they're talking about now is Republicans want to cut Medicare and Social Security, Medicaid and Social Security. Where does that come that, from? Because that, that's what that President Obama is That is not true. That is totally not true. And they're trying to gaslight people and scare people. That is totally not true. Right now, because they're messing up this economy, they're destroying everything. That's like, you know, uh, Senator Warnock mentioned that about you know, with insulin, that Herschel said something about food, where any doctor out there know that if you don't give people the right food, it doesn't matter giving them insulin, it doesn't work. So you can continue to try to gaslight people and scare people. But that's all they're trying to do. Why don't they come up with solutions that's going to help people? That's what I want to do. I want to be someone to come up with solutions, work across the aisle, or get people to be a leader so you can lead people to help the Georgia people, to help the United people out of the United States, not just talk about it. That's all they're doing is talking about things that has nothing to do with what people are caring about right now. So I think Herschel's been a, a lot better than anyone thought. If you spend any time with him, you don't question his intellect. He certainly has the confidence, and he's got the business acumen, too. When we come back, uh, I'm going to talk to Herschel about what it was like having all these uh, Republican superstars out there on the trail with him. I'm talking about Senator Tom Cotton. I'm talking about Glenn Youngkin. I'm talking about Lindsey Graham. Uh, they're all out there. They believe in him. In fact, uh, I had a chance to talk to Senator Tom Cotton off the air. Very impressive. Been on the bus with him. Walker can do the job. You listen to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first on the Brian Kilmeade Show. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. I'm looking at the Siena New York Times poll, and I'm going to keep this page because if this ends up as, uh, if they end up accurate, I'll give them full credit, but I don't think it is. Georgia has Warnock up by three. Really? Warnock up by three. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution, a lot closer to it by, I guess, proximity. Uh, They have Walker up by percentage points, 45.5 to 45.2 over Warnock. In that case, though, you know it would be a runoff because you need 50%. Uh, Well, here is part two of my interview with Herschel Walker. Let's listen. So I watched you with Sean Hannity on the town hall. I've seen you give countless speeches. i also seen high-profile Republicans from Lindsey Graham to Tom Cotton come down, and I know you kind of study them. You're kind of new to the politics thing. You, that's why you hopped into the, you're doing the bobsled. You had to study it, even though you have natural ability at it. What did you pick up from Tom Cotton? What did you pick up uh, from Lindsey Graham? 
Well, what I picked up from them, I picked up how they can, how they look as a senator, they act as a senator, and I said, I'm going to do the same thing. Right now, after that debate, everyone saw that I can go in at day one and make the right decision. I can go in at day one, make the right vote. Senator Warnock went in at day one, and you see where we're at today. He voted with Joe Biden 96% of the time. The other 4% uh, of the time, who knows where he was at, promoting his book or doing something else. That means he could have voted with him 100% of the time. So he's been voting wrong. They're saying that I'm not ready. At the debate, everyone saw I'm ready to go in today and start being the senator. So last time you were on, we played a a endorsement from Vince Dooley, your college coach. He has since passed away. What's your reaction? Well, you know, that was very hurtful. That was very painful. Uh, you know, he had just shot a very, very good endorsement video for me, uh, a commercial that he shot for me. And, you know, everyone absolutely loved it. And I was going to pull it. I was going to pull it. And, you know, uh, Miss Dooley, the Dooley family said, no, no, Herschel, he wanted you to run that. You run that video. And Coach Dooley was always, always been like a dad to me. And I would say this here. If it wasn't for Coach Dooley, that could not have been a Herschel Walker. You know, he uh, was a guy that continued to teach me the respect, the discipline that I needed from when I left home from my parents. And, and I credit him with uh, making me who I am, being the man that I am. And I and I just, I'm, I'm going to miss him. I think so many people are going to miss him. And, you know, he was a true patriot. A lot of people don't know Coach Dooley was an ex-Marine. So I always looked up to him, and I and I to love him. And he's, uh, his, and I pray for his family right now, and I, and I ask everyone to say a short prayer for his family and for Miss Dooley. Uh, why did you pick Georgia? Yeah, I end up flipping a coin. I, I end up flipping a coin. My mom told me my mind and my heart were pure of Jesus. No matter what decision you make, God will make it right for you. And I wanted to go to the military, so I flipped between the military and, and college. It came for me to go to college. Then I flipped to what school to go to. Georgia ended up winning, and that's how I ended up at Georgia. And through the flip of a coin, and I think that's the reason I said God prepared me for a moment like this, because the person I'm going up against is a pastor. He's a minister of Dr. King's church. But the things he says in church, the things he says out on the, when he's making his speeches, is not biblical. He's not, he's not speaking from the Bible that I read. He tried to separate people through the color of their skin when he's in a church of a man that says the content of your character, not the color of your skin. He tried to separate people by saying America need to apologize for its whiteness. When yet, in the Bible I read, it talks about how can my Heavenly Father forgive me if I can't forgive my fellow man. He tried to separate people all the time, when yet the Bible I read says if a house divided cannot stand. So I'm a little bit confused why he was intended to do the things that he's doing and not represent the people of Georgia like he should. So I think Eric Erickson knows as much about Georgia as anybody, and this is what he just tweeted out. Kemp is leading Abrams significantly, and Walker and uh, uh, race between Walker and Warnock is one point. The Democratic ground game has collapsed. Abrams is out of money. Black men are splitting the Kemp-Walker in good numbers. Doomed for the Dems. No runoff. That is a significant change for him, and he's, he came out when the allegations, the controversy first came up, with your personal situation, he thought it was it might have been over. That's what he just put out uh, uh, 48 minutes ago. Well, Brian, I've been saying the Lord put me here. I believe in the Lord Jesus, and I'm not a religious freak, but I love my, my, my Lord. But right now, the people know what's going on. 
And I think we've been selling Georgia people short and Georgia voters short because we've been acting like they don't know what's going on. They see these high grocery prices. They see these high gas prices. They see drugs coming from the border into Atlanta. They see how the men and women's sports, they see all this on television. Rafael Warner is to blame for all of it because he was deciding vote. You know, it's a 50-50 Senate. And now you have the vice president making a decision. He could have said no in many of these things, and he didn't. You know, he uh, he voted to deny a baby that survives an abortion, to deny that baby uh, medical care. How extreme is that as a minister in Dr. King's church? So uh, when you uh, – on a side note, just to wrap up uh, real quick, Kershaw, I know you're against it. You're in between events. But when you see uh, Keenan on uh, on SNL, when you see him pretend to be you and act as if not that smart of a guy, get confused a lot, knowing in reading your biography, knowing how you were mocked as a kid, does that bring back those memories or does that steal you because you had to get through it? Well, that makes me better. That makes me better because that's why Lord prepared me for a moment like this because he knew people going to be like that. But the thing is, there are actors. I am the real deal. I have done everything through hard work, through all the preparation, rather than an inspiration, rather than having to go out and try to put down someone to make myself look good. I've never done that. Mm-hmm. Right now, I will fight for that seat for the great people of Georgia because that seat belongs to the people of Georgia, gotcha. not the center of one, not anyone else. Herschel Walker, always great to talk to you. Best of luck in the final sprint. Hey, thank you, Now Go to TeamHerschel.com. Pull up a chair and join me, Rachel Campos Duffy. And me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America. Download from the kitchen table, the Duffy's at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.